praise the Lord. Philippians chapter number 4, the 16th message and the final message in our study of the book of Philippians entitled Partners in the Gospel. God's been good to teach me a lot of things as I've studied uh, best I could to understand what Paul was intending to get across to this church and to our church today when he wrote uh, the book of Philippians. And I hope you've learned something through the study of this book. I hope you've been challenged and encouraged both uh, from the truth of what he's written. I want to close by preaching verses 10 through verse 20. And then, of course, 21, 22, and 23 are equally as inspired as anything in Philippians. But they're just uh, a standard salutation our conclusion to any letter that Paul would have written. So we won't preach a message on those, but there is much to unpack in 10 through 20. I think we can do it in a very concise way. Let's begin reading in verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The title of the message is A Pastor's Perspective of His People's Giving. I understand that, that we had preaching on giving last week, and this isn't intentional. This is just the passage that we come to in Philippians. I think I'm going to give you a perspective on God's people's giving that is unique tonight and is important for our church. Question Should a pastor think about his people's giving? That means if he's mindful or if he's thinking about his people's giving, here's what that will lead to. He'll preach on his people's giving. If he's thinking about the giving of his people, that means that he's going to provide accountability to the church leaders regarding their personal giving. I don't know if you knew this, but pastor keeps track of our deacons giving and our pastoral staff's giving. And he even goes so far as to not put any man on a ballot for a voted on position without assuring they are financially invested in the ministry. Is that okay? Should a pastor be that concerned about his people's giving? To the point of preaching on it regularly? Providing accountability and only allowing tithing members to serve in positions of leadership? Should a pastor think about his people's giving? Well, I believe the answer is yes. A pastor should think about his people's giving, and let me quickly give you the reasons why. Number one, Jesus was highly concerned about his people's giving. Jesus is our example. Matthew 22, verse 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now watch this last phrase. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. People love to say that tithing is, is not in the New Testament. Well, this is a pretty good verse to give us at least an implication that the tithing is the 10% is just where you start. Because Jesus said, you're more concerned about the little things like tithing of the mint and the anise and the cumin. I wish I had time to go into all those things, but tithing of all these things. But yet you're, you don't have mercy and faith. He says, I, I don't, did you see? He says, I don't want you to stop giving. You shouldn't stop tithing. If he wasn't for tithing, he would have said, stop tithing. It's not that big a deal. No, he said, don't leave the other undone. Just make sure that you accompany that with judgment, mercy, and faith because you are to be a Christian from the inside out. Did you know 20 out of 40 parables that Jesus gave in the Gospels talk about money? And one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. One of those is Mark chapter 12. Look at it. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. He's teaching his disciples. And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto them his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Then he teaches them. For all they did cast into their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I preached a message on this called When Jesus Counts the Offering. Jesus was concerned about his people's giving, so a pastor should be. I would also contend this is a reason why, because the pastor, who is the spiritual shepherd, the under-shepherd, or the overseer of the flock God has given him, should think about his people's giving, because his people's giving, according to Scripture, reveal his people's heart. If you're gonna, if you're gonna guide your flock into spiritual growth, then you've got to be attuned to the condition of their heart the best you can. And one of the best ways to do that is via their giving. Jesus teaches that our finances are closely connected to our faith in Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I would say a third reason is because Paul writes an entire letter to the church of Philippi primarily to thank them for their generous giving to his ministry. He actually opened up the letter with thanking them for partnering in the ministry with them by giving in Acts chapter 16 when he first started the work. And then he ends the letter with the subject of, hey, thank you for giving. I don't think the question tonight should be this, should a pastor think about his people's giving? I actually think the better question is this, how should a pastor think about his people's giving? When a pastor stands to preach on financial stewardship, what should his perspective be? When we bring in a guest pastor, like we did last week, to give us insight on money and giving, what should be our thinking behind that? These are the kind of questions that Paul answers in this closing text of Philippians. He answers the question, how should a pastor think about his people's giving? And he first tells us how a pastor should not think about his people's giving. And then he tells us three ways a pastor should think about his people's giving. And you may already be thinking, why preach this text from a pastor's perspective when none of us are pastors? Are you like preaching behind pastor's back? No, he's seen my notes. That's a fair question. Here's, here's why I'm doing this. 
because you're going to hear more teaching and preaching on giving this year than you have in a long time. There's reasons for that that you'll hear later. In fact, we just brought a guest in. We asked him to preach solely on giving. Pastor's going to be preaching, I'm going to be preaching two types of message on financial stewardship this year. One is going to be instructive preaching. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but we have a lot of newer folks in our church. Hallelujah for that. We're starting another First Steps class. I think three or four people signed up for that already today. Baptizing again in a couple of weeks. Praise the Lord for that. But we, want, we need to instruct the newer members on what the Bible says about tithes and offerings. And so we can't take for granted that they just know what you know about, about tithes and offerings. But some of us do know. And so not all the messages will be instructive. Some of them might be a rebuke, a reproof. The Bible is profitable for instruction in righteousness, but also for rebuke. Sometimes, like we do our kids, we, we have to remind them of things they already know. And so you're going to hear that. And the reason I'm using this text in this way tonight, watch your church, is because I want you to know what our perspective is. Or at least what it should be when we stand behind the pulpit and we preach on the topic of giving so that you could respond in an appropriate way and so that we're not misunderstood in any way. Let's be honest. There's an elephant in the room when we preach on giving. People, people get skeptical when they hear preachers preach on money. That's why a lot of preachers don't do it. There's an elephant in the room and people are thinking in their head, is this all this church wants is my money? I would answer that a resounding no. And I'm going to show you because Christ and God and Fellowship Baptist Church actually doesn't need your money. God knows how to operate without money. He's bigger than that. We're not out for anybody's money. So you might, you might be skeptical of that. So I want, you to, I want to introduce you to what our, our perspective should be. And Lord willing, will be, according to Paul's example, whenever we preach to you on giving, so that you don't think we're some crook up here. I began to look up on the internet some of the very famous televangelists and pastors and how much it's open, how much money they make. It'll blow your mind, the kind of cars they drive. They have private jets. And so I think it's fair in some regards that if that's all you know about a preacher and money, that you're skeptical. Because, because you might be thinking to yourself, that's all they want. They want to get rich. They want to drive nice cars. They want to wear nice, nice clothes. On and on and on. And so I, I don't want us to be misunderstood. I want us to be on the same page going forward. And by the way, those that are tithing, they have no problem with tithing messages. You won't be skeptical. You trust the word. You know your pastor's heart. But I, I want to clear this up for those that might not be as familiar. Paul opens up with this truth. A pastor should be glad about his people's giving but not because their gift benefits him. Okay, this is very, very important. Talking about what our perspective should be. Look at verse 10. We're going to study the Bible. We've been here for a little bit, so you're going to have to really discipline yourself to listen. I'll, I'll try to discipline myself to move fast. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now let me just summarize that Paul was very happy and glad that he had received this offering from the church of Philippi via the hands of Epaphroditus. He was really happy because we know from the latter part of chapter 2 that Epaphroditus almost died delivering this gift. 
So Paul felt like he needed to be extra generous for this. And he said in verse 10 that their care of him, their giving to him, had actually flourished again. That word flourish comes, comes from the idea of a flower blooming again like a perennial that comes back every year blossoming in the spring. And Paul is saying, I hadn't heard from you in a while. And it's like your generosity, you're giving it, blossomed again. Now, we, we know that, that somehow their giving to him had been interrupted. Probably not because they ran out of money or they ran out of faith or they ran out of generosity, but because during that two-year period, there were times when they didn't know where Paul was. They didn't know how safe and even appropriate it would be to deliver a gift to Paul. We know that it was already dangerous. Epaphroditus lost his life. It was an 800-mile journey. They couldn't electronically wire the money. To the Apostle Paul. So there was a lot of logistical things. But Paul says, hey, I'm glad that, that, that you've shown your concern for me again. But I want you to know the reason I'm glad is not because of how your gift benefits me. And it's not because of how your gift benefited my ministry. And it's not even because your gift met a specific need in my ministry and enabled me to stay out of the Roman prison system. He said in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. Catch that phrase. He wanted to be clear as to the reason he was glad. And it wasn't because he had to have the money to be happy and to go forward for the Lord. He even adds another disclaimer along the same lines in verse 17. Look at it. Not because I desire a gift. He's trying to reiterate, I want you to understand. I don't want to be misunderstood as a pastor, as a missionary. I don't want to be misunderstood for why I'm glad that you give to my ministry. So how could Paul say that? How could he think in this way? Well, we talked about it three weeks ago. And verses 11 tells us, look, not that I speak in respect to one, for I have learned, and whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, don't miss this. Paul's saying, I can have this attitude because I know what it's like to be in need, I know what it's like to have plenty, and neither one of those conditions affects my stability. I've learned to have a contentment that transcends my circumstances. And the reason why I can have that is because there's actually an internal stability, there's an internal strength that keeps me settled whether I have no food or whether my refrigerator is full of food, and it's much more powerful than your gifts. It's an internal compelling strength that is independent of my financial circumstances. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's inside of me, moving my life forward. And your external gifts are a blessing, but they're of secondary concern to Jesus. So how should a pastor think about his people's giving? Like Paul, he should be glad, but not because of how it benefits him or his church or how it even make, meets a specific need in his church. Let me help you understand this. While giving is critical to the ministry, we have to understand that God can and he will continue the work of the gospel through his church whether his people give or not. How do I know that? Because he made this promise that, that he said, my, my church, it's the pillar and the ground of the truth and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If Satan can't thwart the work of the gospel, if Satan can't destroy the work of God's New Testament church, then your lack of generosity can't do it either. Are you following this? 
The ministry might have more funds or less funds to work with, but something much more powerful than our money is at the center of ministry, and it's Jesus Christ. The driving force of our church is Christ. The strengthening power of our church is Christ. And whether the funds are great or small, whether the offerings are large or they're not very much at all, Christ can and he will move his work forward. That's where a pastor's thinking has to start. God has a ministry to do regardless of our level of income. The church might feel the pinch and pain of having little Our Fellowship Baptist Church might at times feel very full and flush. But what matters is that Christ is in the people. And he can move the church forward regardless of what the finances are. Are you getting this? We don't want to preach on money and be glad when we have good offerings because now we can be comfortable. That's not our heart. It's not because it benefits us. Us. So then the question is, why was he glad? What thought is in the pastor's mind that makes him glad if it's not that the ministry now has more financial margin? More money. Well, I would sum it up like this. The pastor should be glad about his people's giving, not because of how it benefits him, but because of what it says about his people. What it tells him about the people he pastors and it tells them three things quickly number one a pastor should be glad about his people's giving because it indicates their partnership in the gospel look at verse 14 notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate or share or partner with my affliction now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated or partnered with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only for even in Thessalonica ye sit once and again unto my necessity Now, when Paul wrote this letter, it had been 10 years since he started the church of Philippi. If you want to study where he started the church of Philippi, turn to Acts 16. won't do it tonight, but you can study the first converts. It was 10 years previous to him writing this letter. And after he left Philippi, you know where he went? He went to Thessalonica, where he started another church. And it was this church of Philippi that had partnered with Paul financially for all 10 of those years. Paul even made the point to say... That, that church of Philippi, you're, you're the only one at sometimes that were sending me a, a check. When all the other churches eventually faded off and stopped supporting and stopped giving, you are the one that has supported me an entire decade of ministry. But he wasn't glad because of their gift. He was glad because it indicated that they were communicating or sharing or partnering with him in the gospel. That he was glad because it really meant that they thought much about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get something. We don't support God's ministry. We share in it. There's a huge difference. God doesn't need our money. A God who spoke the world into existence in six literal 24-hour days and could have done it in six seconds doesn't depend on our support, but he invites us to share with it, in it with him. He lets us, and what a privilege it is to share with the God of the universe in in the greatest work on earth, and that's the work of the gospel. It's the most important work. So listen, when pastor stands up with enthusiasm at the end of a missions conference and announces that we have committed once again over $200,000 to give to worldwide missions above our tithe, he's not glad because he's relieved that we can actually support our ministry, our missionaries another year. 
He's glad because your giving indicates that you care about the gospel. He's glad because your giving, your sacrificial by faith, giving that you promise to give to God through the church that will be sent out to over 60 missionaries worldwide, it indicates that you believe that lost souls need to hear the gospel. You want to give above your tithe. Because you're not called to go to China, but you can give somebody money who is called to go to China. That's why a pastor's heart is glad. When a pastor stands up and he's excited about the church giving over $50,000 in a first annual I Love My Church offering, he's not glad because he gets to go on a shopping spree and spend your money and buy something new and cool. He's glad because it tells him you care about God's church. When pastor gives us the financial report and we're in the plus, meaning there's, there's more money than there is month, he's not happy because he'll sleep better and he'll worry less. He's glad, and I'm glad because it indicates that your hearts are in the right place because the principle is where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It indicates God's people are obeying the word of God. And the flip side of the coin is true as well. Pastor's less than glad, and we don't give to make him glad, we don't. Get, give because we don't want to make him sad. I'm just telling you his perspective, our perspective. We're less than glad when the giving's down. Not because we're stressed and worried that the ministry won't go on. The ministry's bigger than money. But because it indicates that God's people aren't obeying God. So if you hear preaching about giving and it's righteously indignant, it's not because the pastor's greedy. It's because the pastor is concerned with your lack of consistent, obedient, honest offering. So the first reason a pastor should be glad about his people's giving is because it indicates their partnership in the gospel. Let me give you number two. We're moving. A pastor should be glad about his people's giving because it's evidence of spiritual fruit. Look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift. Paul said, let me say it again. Understand me. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. This is so good. Paul says, I'm looking at your spiritual account and I'm seeing credit being added to it. I see increasing capital or, or profit in your account. It's like when you see your quarterly statement, right? On your investments or on your IRA, your portfolio. Uh, you compare the end of the last quarter with the results of the current quarter and you see that your account is growing, meaning more has been added to your account. Additional deposits, uh, maybe matches by your employer. Compound growth, the gain is apparent and it makes you glad. And Paul's in the same way, but he's looking to your spiritual account. A pastor looks to your spiritual account and he knows that the, the Bible says that God is crediting your account. John MacArthur put it this way, their gift brought Paul joy not because of its personal material benefit to him, but because of the spiritual benefit to them. Paul understood that because he understood what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. In other words, get this, eternal dividends are being posted to the Philippians account in heaven. That made Paul happy. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, you give materially to God and you receive spiritually from God. The Lord keeps the books and will never fail to pay one spiritual dividend. That church is poor that fails to share materially with others. 
You know what makes us glad or what should make us glad when it comes to your giving to God through this church? Do you know why we preach passionately about the tithe and about the offering? Because we know your giving is benefiting you spiritually and eternally. When you give your tithe, and we watch, when we use that money to fuel our buses and pick up our kids and buy candy to feed the kids and put resources into our teachers' hands to reach the kids, you get a share in the spiritual fruit of those lives that are changed if you gave. When we use your tithe to fund the designing and printing of about 8,000 or 10,000 Easter invites, purchase Easter music for the choir to sing, promotional videos to post on social media, Easter eggs and candy to hide for the kids safe, and first-class nurseries. When 700 people come onto our property and hear the gospel and respond to the gospel because you gave so that could happen smoothly and effectively, you get to share in the spiritual fruit. When you give to missions, we're glad about that. Because you do it above your tithes sacrificially. And so when a missionary comes back to our church on furlough and he reports back to us and he shows us a video of his church that he started in India and he gives us the testimony of a Muslim man or a Muslim woman who has been alienated from their family and who's risking their life because they chose to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get to share in that spiritual fruit. If you give. A pastor should be glad for his people's giving. Not because it benefits him, but because it indicates his people are partners in the gospel. It's evidence of spiritual fruit in the lives of his people. Can I give you one more? Can you hang with me? Thank you. Verses 18 and 19 teaches a pastor should be glad about his people's giving because he knows what God is going to do for them in return. Watch verse 18. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Look up here. We'll hasten. Paul says they're giving. Get this, please. Picture this in your mind's eye. It was like a sweet aroma that ascends to God. A fragrance that comes into his presence and so delights him, so gets his attention, so pleases his heart that he turns to see who's responsible for that. And then he says to, to them, I'm going to take care of that person. Whew. Wow, who gave that? Oh, I'm going to supply their need. Are you getting this? When our sacrificial, faith-filled offerings please the Lord, it's like an aroma that goes into heaven, figuratively speaking, and it pleases God. It gets his attention, so much so that he made this bold promise, I will supply all your need. Unbelievable. I want you to notice something, watch. Look at the first part of verse 18. Look in your Bible. Paul says, but I have all in abound. I am full. Watch. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Okay? Now watch verse 19. Watch. But my God shall supply all your need. Now don't miss this point. Don't miss it, what Paul's saying. He's saying verse 18. Verse 18, you've supplied for me. Verse 19, now God's going to supply for you. 
Verse 18, you've met my need and the need of the gospel ministry. Verse, ni verse 19, now my God is going to meet your need. Hudson Taylor said it this way, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. And the reason many of God's people don't give generously or consistently or honestly is because they don't really believe this promise. They want the benefits of this promise without meeting the conditions. They have it posted in their house. And they're not even tithing. You don't meet the conditions. Philippians 4.19. If God's not getting a consistent, faithful, and honest offering from you. Sorry to deliver. That's just the, that's the straightforward as I can get. We can't claim something that we're not eligible to claim. Because God didn't say, but I shall supply all your greed. He said, I'll supply all your need. Meaning when you give to me, it's going, it's going, listen, it, it, it's going to mean that now you have a need. It's going to create a need in your life. And God says when a need is created because of your sacrificial giving, I promise to fill that need with my provision. And the reason many people don't do it is because it makes no sense on paper. And they refuse to believe God's promise and when a pastor sees it listen when a pastor sees families that are young trying to raise kids sees families that have teenagers they got got to pay for braces and glasses and church camps and school activities they see people later in life that are trying their best to save up a nest egg so they can retire when they want they've worked hard and a pastor sees them give faithfully, consistently, and honestly for the work of the gospel through the church. You know why he's happy? Because he knows this promise. His people have just activated God's supply. His people have just tapped into the unending bank account in heaven. His people are going to see the mighty hand of God in a very real way. And that makes a pastor's heart happy. Maybe you're wondering why I have a blue Lego. This is from Ninjago. These things are expensive. Come here, Kev. Come here. My son taught me a good lesson on God's provision on Christmas Day. How you doing, buddy? Good. Stand right up there. If you don't like me bragging on my son, then you can close your eyes, look at your phone. I think every father ought to brag on their son when they do the right thing. And this won't be the last time that I brag on him. I love him. I'm thankful. He's not perfect, far from it. But I love him to death. He taught me something. I think he can teach all of us something tonight. He'd been asking for weeks for this Lego for Christmas. In fact, in the little Target magazine that my wife gives him every year, he circled this, along with 188 other Legos. <laughs> but th this, is, this is one that, that, he, that he circled. And he just mentioned this one over and over. We knew this was the one he wanted, the blue Ninjago Lego. And so we 
get him the balloon and drive away there. Well, he opens it on Christmas morning. And the first thing he says when he opens this is, ah, Parker really wants one of these. It's his cousin. Do you think it's okay if I give him this Ninjago? And I said, no, that's yours. <laughs> what are you thinking, kid? You don't give away? No. I said, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. And so he didn't even take it out of the box or anything like that. Miss Landa, some of you would know Miss Landa. She was the pastor's wife here for 25 years. I call her grandma. We call her honey. She lives in Yukon now. But she called us that day and said, hey, can you guys come over to Rainy and Jim's? That's where I'm staying. And I want to give you a Christmas present. I want to give Kevin a Christmas present. And so we go over there and Kevin opens the box. You want to know what it was? It was this guy. Honey had no idea. No idea that because of Kevin's giving, there was just a need created. I know you're saying it's not a need. I get that. But to an eight-year-old, pretty big deal. And God showed him. God showed him. If you give, I'll give back to you. It wasn't even the red one. It was exactly what he gave away. God will do that. If God will do that through a Lego, don't you think he'll do that with your giving to the gospel work? If something like a kid's generosity for a Lego was a sweet aroma in heaven, it got God's attention and it activated God's supply. Don't you think when you give your missions, when you can't afford it, and you give your 10%, even though you really need it this month, what makes you think that won't get God's attention? And so Brother Kay came to me when he found out that I was doing a blue Lego, and he didn't know he played right into my hand today. He gave me this blue Lego from Golden Plains Credit Union, shameless plug, for Brother Farron. It's a little piggy bank. Kevin doesn't even know this. I didn't have time to warn him. But we're going to put this right above his bed. It's blue. It's a Lego. And he's going to put money into this. And when it's full, you know what he's going to do? He's going to give it away. He's going to give it to a missionary kid that comes in. He's going to give it to a bus kid that's less fortunate than he is. And then he's going to fill it back up and he's going to do it over and over. And, well, you're not going to let him choose? No. I'm going to teach him and remind him. This is a memorial, one of them stones you set up. Joshua 4. And he's going to remember that color, that blue Lego. And so when he's married one day, and he can't afford, in his mind, to give, I hope you'll have this blue Lego. And he'll remember. God gave me a blue Lego when I was an eight-year-old boy. He'll take good care of me today. Stand to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, buddy. I love you.